Thank you for listening to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast, located here in Pasco, Washington, where lives are still being changed for Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoy it. Amen. So if you could open up your Bibles this morning to uh, Genesis chapter 7, verse 1. It is Father's, Father's Day, so I'm going to minister a little bit on, on being a father. But if you're here this morning and you're not a father, don't tune out because there's it's geared towards fathers, but there's a lot of biblical truth here just in general of being a leader, being a Christian. Um, so if you're, if you're a father, listen up. If you're a future father, listen up. If you're a woman married to a father, listen up. If you're a woman not married to a father, listen up. Because it'll either help you find that man, help you be that man, help you someday be that man. At the very least, hopefully it'll strengthen your walk with God. So, Professional baseball has been played in America since the year 1875. It's a long time ago. But on September 14, 1990, which is 115 years later, something happened that has never happened before and hasn't happened since. Late in his career, Ken Griffey Sr., uh, who had been a key member of the World Series champion Cincinnati Reds years before he was signed by the Seattle Mariners, his son Ken Griffey Jr. was just starting his major league career. In the first inning of a game against the Angels, Ken Griffey Sr. hit a home run to left center field. His son followed him to the plate and hit another home run almost exactly to the same spot. It was the only time a father and son had hit back-to-back home runs in baseball history. Ken Griffey Jr. said uh, said later that his father greeted him at home plate saying, That's how you do it, son. Ken Griffey Sr. not only taught his son how to play baseball and gave him instructions and showed him discipline with the sport, but Ken Griffey Sr. was also an example to his son, Ken Griffey Jr., an example to his son of how to be disciplined, how to work hard, and how to succeed at the highest level at something that they both had committed their lives to. Ken Griffey Sr. didn't just teach his son how to play baseball, he was also an example to his son on how to play baseball. So for us as fathers, it's not enough for us to simply tell our children about Jesus, to teach our children to follow Jesus, but they have to also see us day by day following Jesus diligently so that they not only gain our knowledge of Christ, but they also see our example of living for Christ, that they see how rewarding it is and by experiencing it with us and eventually as they grow following Christ on their own. So let's read our scripture today in Genesis 7 verse 1 says, The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen you, I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your presence this morning, God. I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit, God, would help me this morning, God, that you would deliver the message to your people, God, by the power of your Spirit, God, not by my ability, not by my intellect, God, that your Holy Spirit, God, would seed this word deep within the hearts of the people here, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So first I want to talk about 
the inevitable admiration of a child. Have you guys heard the phrase, monkey see, monkey do? Let me tell you, that doesn't even compare to a more accurate phrase, children see, children do. No matter how much we like it or not, no matter how much we deny it or not, our children emulate us. They do what we do. Stub your toe and let a swear word slip, you better believe they're going to learn that word. They will copy it. They will repeat it. Lay hands on people and pray for people, they copy that too. In fact, it was just a couple weeks ago we were laying hands on um, somebody, I can't remember who it was, um, and you guys know how it is, you know, one person lays hands, two or three people lay hands, and then everybody gathers around and lays hands on the people laying hands. So anyway, we're, we're praying for this person, and, uh, you, know, we're, you know, we're in the moment, right? And then I feel this little hand on my knee. I look down, and it's Ari. She's, got her, she's, she's kind of looking around like, I don't know this, what's going on, but everybody else is doing it. They copy us. She doesn't understand the moment. She doesn't fully grasp the moment. But she sees her dad doing it, and so she does it. Children see our attitudes, they hear our words, they see our hard work, and they see our laziness. Children see it all. Oftentimes, it is the practice for my wife and I when our children develop bad habits. The first thing we ask is, where did they learn it? Because children aren't that creative, they learn things. They don't oftentimes come up with certain attributes on their own. So when we ask this question, the first thing we do is we look at ourselves. Are they copying us? 95% of the time, that's, what, that's where they got it. So for us as parents, we have to realize not just the responsibility of teaching our children how to act, but showing them how to act. No matter what we tell them, no matter what we tell them to do, no matter how we tell them to act, the first thing they will always do is copy us and do what we are doing. You know the phrase, do as I say, not as I do? It doesn't work. You can say it till you're blue in the face, but it ain't going to work. Your kids are going to do as you do. And honestly, it's a, it's a pretty hypocritical statement if you think about it. Yeah, kid, I'm messed up, but don't do what I'm doing. Inevitably, your children will eventually turn away from God because of mentalities like that. We all want to do right, and we all want our children to do right. But that can be a struggle to lead by example. Life comes with challenges. Life comes with necessary attitude adjustments. But I can assure you, you're not alone in this. In Romans 7, 15 through 19, Paul says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. So that's a little bit of a tongue twister, a little bit of a mind bender type of scripture. But basically, Paul is saying, I want to do right. This is Paul, okay? This dude wrote over half of the New Testament, okay? And he's speaking of this struggle to the desire to do right and the struggle to successfully do it. So what he's saying is, I desire to do right, but my flesh convinces me to do wrong and I hate it. 
When I do right, I'm submitting my flesh. When I do wrong, I'm living in sin. My desire is to live within God's law, but my flesh is tugging at me to live wrong. This is a struggle that even Paul went through. One of the greatest men in Scripture wrote half the New Testament, like I said. This is a struggle we all deal with. We all will be tempted to act in the flesh. So how do we win this battle with our flesh? To be an example to our children and the people around us. To get to the point to where we can tell our children, do as I say and as I do. Galatians 6, 7-8 says, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So here we see a firm warning. If we sow in the flesh, we reap in the flesh. And if we are acting and living in the flesh around our children, then not only are we sowing in our flesh, but we're sowing in the flesh of our own children as well. And showing them, by example, to live in the flesh. But in verse 8, we find the answer to help us to this problem. It says, But the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So if we're sowing in the Spirit, we will reap in the Spirit. And if we sow in the Spirit with our children, they will see this and they will emulate that. So sowing in the Spirit on behalf of ourselves, our spouses, and our children is a habitual lifestyle that as fathers we must embrace. Because as fathers, we are responsible for our household. So this is a habit that can and should start long before we actually even have our children or our spouses. Which leads me to my second point, the fortuitous faith of a father. So let's read our main text one more time. Genesis 7.1 says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So here we see Noah, a husband and a father, leading his wife and children into the ark. Now, you guys know the story of Noah and the ark. The world is corrupt, the world is evil, and God says, it can't go on like this anymore. Mankind will not completely turn to evil. There will be no hope for them if I allow this to continue. So what he does is he says, I'm going to send a flood to the earth, but he sees Noah, a faithful man, and says, this is my reset. So Noah builds the ark. Noah and his family go on the ark. They survive the flood that destroys the rest of mankind, and humanity restarts with Noah and his family. But for Noah and his family to enter the ark, they had to be righteous. That's a father, his sons, and their wives, righteous in the eyes of God. So Noah was married and raised three godly sons who married three godly women and were brought into the ark. But how did he do this? See, Noah began to lay the foundation of faith for his family and his sons before they were even born. Noah knew he would raise sons, righteous in God's eyes, able to enter the ark before they were even born. And how do I know this? Well, let's take a look at the timeline of Noah building the ark. Okay, so, so see if you guys can follow me here because there's a little bit of jumping around. Um, but it's very fascinating when you put it together. Genesis 6.3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit 
shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. This is God saying he's going to send the flood on the earth in 120 years from this day. And the passage goes on to him giving instructions for Noah on how to build the ark. You know, build it this tall, build it this wide, this many rooms, blah, 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 blah. And after the instructions, he says, in Genesis 6, 17 through 18, he says, For behold, I will bring a floodwaters upon the earth and destroy flesh, I'm sorry, and destroy all flesh in which the breath of life under heaven, everything that is on this earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your son's wives with you. So God is telling him that his wife and his children will be on the ark with him. And of course, for Noah, this is good news. He, of course, cares and loves for his family. So let's follow the timeline a little bit further down. Genesis 7-6 says, Noah was 600 years old when the flood of when the floodwaters came upon the earth. Okay, so let's do a quick math quiz. All right? If God says 120 years from now, I'm going to flood the earth, and this says Noah was 600 years old, when the floodwaters fell in Genesis 6-3. So how old was Noah when God told him he was going to flood the earth? If he was 600 when it fell, 120 years from now, we'll flood the earth. Noah would have been, somebody said it, 480 years old. Okay, so Genesis 5-32 says, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Do you see what happened here? God told Noah that he was going to build, uh, flood the earth and told Noah to build the ark for him and his wife and his three sons 20 years before Noah even had any children. So Noah began building the ark, the ark that would bring salvation to him and his wife and his sons before they were even born. Noah was living a life of exemplary faith for his sons before they were even born. He was sowing faith, he was sowing prayer, and he was working in God's kingdom on behalf of his sons before he had his sons. Now as fathers or future fathers or current fathers with hopes of more children, we have to start now to sow faith in our children for the sake of their salvation. We have to start now to begin to build our children up in this faith and show them, not just, or not just tell them, but show them that we believe that God is telling us what He says. That they might see us not just preaching to them or teaching to them right and wrong, but the examples of living out our faith in front of our children. Noah, in faith, began building the ark with rooms on the ark for his sons 20 years before they were even born. So Noah's sons were eventually born 20 years later, or at least the first one, and they watched their father labor every day in faith for 100 years building the ark. They watched their father labor in God's kingdom for 100 years in faith, believing that what God had told him was going to come to pass. So they watched him on a daily basis, speaking about God, teaching them right and wrong, but also living it all out diligently, which undoubtedly had to have been a key in raising his sons to be righteous in God's eyes. There's another father 
who spent his life praying and sowing into his family, and that's my father. I'm blessed to have had a, a great earthly father, a father who not only cared about my well-being, but also prayed for me diligently. And I don't think it's a coincidence that me and my three siblings are all saved and in their right minds. Because my father prayed for us daily. He showed us how to live for God. He brought us to church every Sunday. He was not only telling us right and wrong, but he was showing us in his actions to serve God and to live for God. And as a result, myself, my brother, my two sisters, and their spouses are saved. Living in God's kingdom. And that's what the prayers of a righteous father can do. That's what the example of a righteous father does. And that's the example that Noah had for his sons. He wasn't just telling his kids, hey, buzz off, buddy. i got to build this boat. And he wasn't, you know, telling them, go play with your toys. He probably had his sons helping, especially as they got older. His sons saw him go through the trials. His sons saw him go through the persecution. There was no doubt people who told him he was crazy. Noah was telling these people, there's floodwaters coming. Get right. And he got a lot of pushback for it because guess what? Nobody else was on the boat. Nobody else believed what Noah was saying, but his sons did because they saw his, their father's faith. They saw their father's example. And they followed it. So what if Noah wasn't diligent in this calling? What if Noah didn't follow instructions? You know, what if um, you know, God says, hey, build it 300 cubits by 400 cubits or whatever a cubit is. As they say it's about 12 to 18 inches, by the way. Um, you know, what if he didn't build it to spec? Maybe the boat would have sunk, whole family dead. What if Noah pre You've just listened to the Potter's House Tri-Cities Podcast located here in Pasco, Washington. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you come back for more.